It's not always immediately apparent how culture is affecting profitability, but we know in the long term that it, it absolutely does have an impact. One behaviour becomes a series of behaviours, becomes a kind of entrenched way of doing things, becomes a culture, and then that culture can start to kind of spiral into like the way that the organisation makes decisions and does business. Today we're speaking with Sarah Hunt of the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. She is an SIY certified teacher and engagement manager. Sarah provided us with a ton of insight on how developing emotional intelligence through mindfulness practices can help you move from a reactive primitive state and culture within your company into conscious leadership. I hope you enjoy. Yourself Leadership Institute, and I'll I'll call us silly from here out. That's actually our okay. acronym, and that's how we like okay. to say it. It's pretty silly. Um, yeah, we like to keep it we like to keep it fun, we like to keep yeah. it light. So, um, so silly was originally founded back in 2012, and it was started by an engineer at Google. And and part of the reason why the, the program was originally founded was because they were just noticing that uh, Google as a company was obviously growing really rapidly and had a lot of folks there, engineers used to sort of staring at computer screens all day. And suddenly there was this real need to kind of have a lot more teamwork and collaboration. And they were just noticing that there was this real need to develop some, you know, deeper skills for, for that kind of teamwork and kind of and performance and so on. And so the, the program kind of came out of Google and then we became a separate organization. So now we're a separate nonprofit. And at present, we, we work in over 50 countries around the world. So a very wide range of contexts. And uh, we, we work with organizations. One cool project I always love to mention, uh, we've been, we worked with the government of Bhutan and we uh, implemented our program to the entire civil service in Bhutan, so all of their, their government workers. So we do those types of projects. And then we work kind of all the way up to, you know, Fortune 100 companies and doing those kind of really large-scale rollouts. So it's, it's a real uh, wide mix of organisational contexts and workplaces that we have. And, and to be honest with you, Joe, I mean, it just, to me, my job feels like talking with amazing people all day long you know it's just really it's just about talking with people who want to make their companies better who want to have a vision of wanting to you know support their people and 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 bring them a better workplace experience a more human workplace experience um yeah so it's just a joy it's just a joy that's that's really i think a lot of what we do in in some respects that is really awesome this year has been probably pretty eye-opening in terms of, especially towards the beginning of this year, people had to find a way to live with themselves in their own house. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a year for that. Like, what a year for that it has you know, been. If you, if you had been running away from yourself your whole life, this is the year where you'd have to like face reality. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm just, I just imagine so many people had like, breakdowns like emotional mm. mental breakdowns yeah what have you seen from like people's experiences this year 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, gosh, you're right. I, I think one of the things, and I'm, I'm always really careful to kind of share around this because sure. I, I just, I know yeah. that folk have had, you know, when we're chatting with different folks, there's just such a range of reactions and responses to to this year, right? You know, we've got folk all over the, you know, the country and then also the world. You know, some people it's it's been an absolute joy to the introverts. Um, I, you know, I saw that great T-shirt, you know, I was social distancing before it was cool, mm-hmm. you know. So so <laughs> for some folk, it's it's been a blessing. For some people, this has been, you know, the most difficult year of their lives. You're absolutely right. Some it's relationships breaking down. Some, some it's relationships breaking through. Um, we're also seeing, I think, so much change in, in terms of the societal level as well. You know, there's a lot happening here in the United States right now um, and then also in different ways globally. So, so I think it's... You know, if I were to take a kind of a broader perspective, there's a certain sort of um, way in which we're all having the experience of what is it like to respond to very difficult circumstances. And so each of us has our own unique ways that we cope. Uh, Some people become, you know, hypervigilant. Some people will shut down. Some people watch a lot of television. Some people become workaholics. You know, we all have these different ways in which we respond. And so I think part of the reason why we teach these types of skills is to really help people manage, modulate, grow a greater sense of resilience. Um, and in the case of, you know, the example that you gave, I think, you know, folks who may be having those kind of big crises of, of you know, their own lives or, or wanting to kind of reevaluate, um, this, these types of skills can also be really helpful to navigate that as well you know, developing a broader sense of perspective. Maybe you're getting in touch with a part of yourself that you didn't know was there before. Um, so there can be all sorts of opportunities that come through crisis. And, that's, and of course, that's not to, to silver line it or to say that, that those crises aren't uh, real as well. Yeah. So from uh, within businesses, if people don't have tools like mindfulness and if they haven't honed in and developed their own emotional intelligence, what does life look like in the workplace for them if they haven't developed this? I think broadly speaking, where we can kind of talk about this from like a human neurobiology perspective, and I think broadly speaking, folks who don't have these types of tools tend to kind of operate mostly on a state of what we would kind of call autopilot. And that's kind of the default state of the brain. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's not sort of like, oh, that's an example of your failure as a person or something. That's just kind of how our brains are wired. And so what happens is you end up kind of just going through life based on habit, habit patterns, assumptions. Uh, we have this fantastic ability to kind of simple, oversimplify things. Uh, that's all part of our kind of neurobiology. That's kind of goes back to the days when we were, um, you know, kind of being chased by bears, or in my case, it was probably kangaroos, or you know, so <laughs> you know, whichever whichever animal is Can- is, is true for kangaroos, your, your... Kangaroos can be pretty muscular. They're pretty. Buff. They they are very. They've they got are this, very like, strong buff. chest and the and the kicking. There, I wouldn't want they to fight are. one. You know, and and it's so funny because as herbivores, um, you look at them and you say to yourself, I would not want to yeah. go up against you. You know, <laughs> um, so it's yeah, it's funny. They're they're very intimidating animals, yeah. um, and so when you imagine kind of kind of what that's about, right? Like what we were right. wired to respond to, and now mm-hmm. we're dealing with these, you know, these sort of threats that that our brains are responding to, and the types of threats we have now are 
gosh, you know, I got that email from from my boss and, and you, know, they, you know, they're a bit of a jerk or, you know, that, yeah. that thing's really annoyed me. I didn't enjoy that presentation, you know. Yeah. So it's very different types of things. And so in companies where, you know, those skills aren't present, what we see is a lot more kind of reactive behaviour rather than what we would kind of call responsive behaviour. And so I think that's kind of feels like broadly a distinction I'd make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I see exactly what you're talking about in terms of um, there's like a, so human, human nature is very complex and it's kind of like, there are many different sides. There's very beautiful sides of human nature, love, compassion, mm. empathy, etc. And then there's uh, absolutely terrifying parts of humanity, mm. like tribalism mm -hmm. and um you know defensiveness mm -hmm. um and anxiety like all these terrible things but it's that's that's all part of our human nature right yeah. yeah if we look at like how humans react to stimuli that aren't bears or kangaroos facebook's notification is red and mm -hmm. that red berry triggers something in your brain that says this is good and get some dopamine in your brain. <laughs> and, but then the same thing happens. Like our body is going through the limbic system is reacting emotionally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to the sound of an email. So like your boss, which is like hierarchy system. And so the boss sends an email and you see the boss sending a notification and the heart starts pounding. And that can, I mean, there's, there's a myriad of, ugly situations that can arise if you're operating from that like uh almost like a primitive stance which is like the mm -hmm. default mm -hmm. so like i'm feeling angry so i'm going to respond to anger and like so colleagues get into to quarrels and there's walls put up and then they can't collaborate people can't make decisions mm -hmm. um and then sort of the ripple effect of all of that like a ripple effect of a bad decision can affect the whole business you know like you could see the effects of that on the bottom line but of course by the time it gets to the bottom line you're trying to repair the damage right yeah yeah i think that's right i mean you know certainly i know joe when we were kind of sort of setting up for, for today and chatting mm -hmm. about this you know we talked about the way in which that you know, sometimes the kind of elements of culture can really be a sort of downstream effect that hits profitability, right? So it's not mm. always immediately apparent how culture is affecting profitability, but we know in the long term that it, it absolutely does have an impact, right? And, you, you know, you were kind of giving that great example there of like, oh, there's one, you know, one behavior becomes a series of behaviors, becomes a kind of entrenched way of doing things, becomes a culture. And then that culture can start to kind of spiral into like the way that the organization makes decisions and does business. Mm. And we, yeah. and we, you know, we probably all know that. I mean, you, you know, thinking about your listeners, you know, on the podcast, we all know that company that has a, you know, a reputation for a certain way of doing business and people know that and people feel that and they respond differently. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I love that you brought in the piece around uh, power and our relationship to hierarchy as well. Um, you know, as human beings, we, we have a deep, hardwired instinct to want to be part of a tribe. And of course, that served us really well in, in that kind of those ancient times. 
But now, kind of in the modern world that we live in, with this sense of uh, you know volatility, uncertainty, it's a highly complex environment that we're living in now. We're having to interact with more people than we ever have before. We have to actually actively practice to not go into that kind of tribal mentality. Um, and that's, that's not necessarily natural for us, uh, but it's an incredible opportunity sometimes, I think. Um, you know, certainly I think the complexity that we live in creates a huge amount of challenge for businesses, for individuals interacting in teams, uh, but it also creates opportunities that we've just never had before as a species to yeah. learn from people very different from us, yeah. you know, um, to the fact that we're having this conversation now, crazy. you know, we're all, you know, across the other side of the country yeah. from each other. Yeah. Um, that is, that is such a hopeful thought, I think. I think so too. Have you seen the effect of mindfulness practices, how that has changed culture? Can mm. you give me an example of how you've seen it like actually affect a workplace? Yeah, affect culture. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we um I can I mean I can think of a number of, of wonderful examples of this. Uh probably the most uh the most resonant one and probably one that, that audiences, you know, will will um respond to is thinking about how we've kind of worked with the organization SAP across the past, I think it's gosh, almost eight years now that we've been working with them. Uh, and, you know, originally at SAP, uh, that um, there was just one individual and his name is Peter Bosselman. And he started out as just one guy, you know, working in the, the engineering team, uh, closet meditator, him and two others in the whole company. You know, think about SAP, it's a global company. Uh, and he he kind of had this idea like, wow, what would it be like to bring something like mindfulness to a company like SAP, right? And, and of course, when you think about a company like that, those two things don't necessarily immediately go hand in hand, right? Like you're not right. thinking, oh, yes, of course, that, that, that's right. the place it would be implemented. Right. Uh, and he, so he started to actually grow and build um, a mindfulness practice inside that organization over many years. And now that's grown to such an extent that nearly, uh, I think it's 13,000 staff now have been trained in the SIY program. Uh, they've had a company, uh, country director in Germany, I know, has been uh, adopting that as a practice in their, you know, all hands meeting. Uh, Peter is now the chief mindfulness officer of the company, wow. right? A position that never existed. You know, that, that's something he's created through his wow. work. Um, and that is, you know, if you kind of, if you're a statistics lover, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be people on the podcast who are, um, they've done some really interesting research on the value of that mindfulness practice to the company. Uh, also, its impact on their operating profit as well. Um, so as a kind of baseline, you know, they've found that there was a 200% return to the company in terms of people who'd gone through the program and what that meant for their uh, lowering of stress levels, greater uh, retention, engagement, so on. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, too, they've, they've done some really interesting metrics on how that's affected their, the company's operating profit as well. So, I mean, you know, this is sort of like it's not just a feel-good uh, you know, practice, it's actually also really changing the structure of how the company works. Um, and that affects a whole range of metrics as well. Yeah. And I, I think that's great that they have, you know, for people who are data focused, they want to see the numbers because, you know, this may not be like something that you can usually see, but in this case, after eight years of data, you can 
pretty confidently know it's having some effect. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, I I agree. And I mean, this is a thing, I mean, there's often times, you know, as an HR professional that you're like, look, I I know this program's going to work. Like I know this program has value. Right. right? And and you start with that and you know that already. Yeah. Right. And then you say, okay, so now we've got to build a case because we know the program's going to be beneficial. Right. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, so much of the work that we do is about, helping to uh, build that case for people and helping to support them to do that. Uh, You know, some of the work I've been doing recently, and and we kind of talked about this, but, you know, building um, our state of emotional intelligence survey where we kind of surveyed, you know, uh, it was almost a thousand folks from 59 countries around the world, organizations from, you know, everything from, you know, startups, zero to 50 employees, all the way up to kind of fortune 50 size, um, and we really were looking at that question, you know, um, what is the impact of emotional intelligence inside these companies? And I, I think broadly speaking, doing that type of work helps provide the data that people need in order to kind of make the case inside their company. Yeah. So in terms of what people try to do, so like, say you're dealing with stress, what, what are people experiencing that they can say, yeah, this would uh, make a lot of sense for us because we're stressed out all the time. We're overworked. Like people are working more hours. Like what kind of toll does that take on the human psyche? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting before, you know, when we were just chatting and you kind of mentioned that you were talking a little bit about those kind of baseline needs. And then, you know, if we think about, um, you know, kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. We start out with that baseline, like, you know, food, shelter, water, that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. then we sort of move up the pyramid, right. And so I think when we think about like what's what's happening for folks inside companies, some of the things that you were chatting about just there are really like, I think, acute needs, right? So that thing of like, God, you know, I'm so stressed. I'm so overwhelmed that I can't even go through my email inbox, yeah. right? And so so those are kind of the real immediate things that, that come out for people is, is that real frontline stress, burnout uh, and so forth. And, and mindfulness is helpful for that because it's it's helping us kind of get off that sense of chronic stress and start to kind of gain a sense of focus and clarity. But, you know, I think also too, I don't want to skip over that I think there is also a whole lot of other very, you know, much deeper benefits that come after, a, you know, a much longer time. And so I think those benefits are about, uh, you know, sustainable high performance. I think it's also about... Uh, thinking about what type of leader you want to be inside a company, uh, how aligned are you to the the values and mission uh, of your organization? Um, You know, and and I think also too, there's other kind of deeper areas of exploration, like to what extent are you able to give compassion to yourself? To what extent are you compassionate to others? How is the way that you you are as as a human being inside the company, you know, to what extent, you know, in how you show up as a leader, how is that affecting others around you, right? Those types of questions we start to get into, I think, a much deeper and more subtle territory. And and not everybody wants to go there. Not everybody mm-hmm. is, is looking for that type of leadership right. journey. But I think certainly there are benefits across the whole the whole spectrum, yeah. Yeah. You're, you mentioned sustainable high performance. And yeah. I was about to ask you about, what people try to do outside of like mindfulness practices to deal Mm. with that immediate need. Mm. And um, 
I know one of the things that people do when they feel stressed is that they turn to alcohol. And mm-hmm. even within a company culture, that could be, hey, it's Friday, you know, let's all go out to the as a group to the bar. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm not, you know, knocking alcohol because I, I drink sometimes and it's yeah. fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I, I know that's part of some company cultures is that if you are feeling stressed, this is how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you just consume alcohol and then everyone feels like they're together. Um, mm-hmm. and in some cases, like the bonds that you create with people when you're kind of drunk, they feel really great. And like, you feel like I'm so connected to you right now. But then on <laughs> Monday, it's like, what's up? It's like, you're, you didn't actually create something that's real, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, also in terms of like sustainable high performance, that also isn't super sustainable either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got it. I, I think, um, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a great example. And, and I think you're totally, you're right. I mean, there's lots of ways in which people use, you know, people have different like ways of, of kind of blowing off steam. You know, some people it's going for a run. Some people it is like, hey, let's go and, you know, go to a bar together as a, as a team or, or what, what have you. And, and I think, you know, I, I can understand why there's that appeal. Uh, I can absolutely understand it's it's easy, it's available, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and, and I absolutely understand that. I mean, I come from a, a country where there's a very large drinking culture, so I'm very familiar yeah. with that as as a strategy. Yeah, um, but <laughs> it's I a think strategy. it is a strategy. Yeah, it's definitely a strategy. You know, and and sometimes you know, particularly with things like alcohol, you know, that can also just be a way to. Um, I want to say to share emotions where there may not be uh, other, um, you know, other strategies to share emotions in other ways. And so sometimes people can use alcohol as a way of sort of bypassing discomfort or bypassing mm-hmm. vulnerability or kind of yeah. you know, ways to connect with people. Yeah. So, so I think part of it is about saying, how do we develop ways of connecting with each other and ways of speaking honestly and vulnerably um, that, that are really adaptive kind of strategies and and also too how do we give ourselves that choice right because i think there's nothing wrong with if you're if you're choosing and saying hey let's go out and have a big night like Mm -hmm. that's nothing wrong with that but it's saying is that a is that a conscious choice that you're making or is that just a default and i think there's a there's a real difference between that Yeah. yeah like if you if the only if the only avenue that you have to be like say there's two coworkers and there's something bugging them and there's like there's there's conflict brewing um and all throughout the week Joe's no Joe's, one, uh, Joe's yeah, butting his hands together yeah. just in case you <laughs> folks are uh, <laughs> he's doing that with his hands <laughs> they, they can't they can't you know there's something that should be said but they're not gonna say it but yeah. then on Friday I'm feeling like inebriated and now I can be vulnerable. You know, mm-hmm. but if mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. only avenue that you have to be vulnerable is on Friday, then like you can't just be drunk in all of your meetings throughout the week. Yeah. You know, that's not yeah. sustainable. You can't yeah. just be drunk all the time, <laughs> but no. you still no. need to be vulnerable. You still need to come out and say what you got to say. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think, um, you know, it's interesting when you're when you're kind of giving that example of two co-workers kind of butting heads. 
because I think, you know, we're all, all of us are very different. You know, I'm pretty direct uh, in terms of sharing feedback. And certainly I know when I moved to California, um, my experience of Californians is that they're much less direct than, than I am. And so I've certainly had to learn ways of communicating skillfully with people here that, um, you know, is, is kind of respectful and also kind of like mirrors very different ways of, of sharing difficult, you know, news or difficult feedback. And, you know, I think one of the things that is so wonderful when you can give difficult feedback or have difficult conversations or be vulnerable with your colleagues, your co-workers or whatever, it, it actually creates this much deeper relationship that's founded on trust. Because if I know, hey, Joe, if you've got a problem and I'm going to hear about it, then I know that I can trust you. I know that you've got my back. I know that you're going to stand up for me when I need it. I know you're going to call me out when I'm, you know, messing up in the workplace. Um, and so there's actually a much deeper relationship that can kind of come from that. Uh, and we can sort of move beyond the transactional uh, sort of relationship that happens sometimes with coworkers, I think. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could make the case that all relationships are built on the foundation of trust and respect. And if you don't have those, man, you just got nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, often, I often say when we're, um, you know, when I'm kind of talking with different folks or developing different relationships, I often say that I'm most excited when I have a disagreement with someone. Because if I can have a really good disagreement with someone and, you know, and, and say, you know what, I really don't see eye to eye with you on that and we can talk it through uh, and not necessarily reach agreement either, sure. you know, but, yeah. but kind of have that respectful dialogue. That is such a, such a wonderful moment in any relationship, yeah. you know, because I think that's a, that's a sign that you're doing well, I think. Yeah. Uh, at I least think in so. my experience. I think so too. Um, Cause you could, the fear is that conflict will, uh, drive a wedge, but actually it allows you to uh, become closer because then there's not the elephant in the room between you at all times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think often too, you know, you can, you can often feel that in a relationship, at least for me, this is how, kind of how I experience it. You'll, you'll often notice when, when there is that elephant starting to kind of loom and get a little bit larger in the relationship where, you know, sometimes we, we can adopt avoidant behaviors. So sort of, you know, suddenly not having the meeting or right. rushing through or there's the, you know, kind of, uh, I mean, you know, there's all these different strategies we use to avoid that, you know. Um, I mean, sometimes a joke I make is, you know, when you, when you notice with your spouse, for example, that you're having a really uh, strong argument about who's done the dishes recently, mm -hmm. uh, that you're probably not dishes. talking about the dishes, right? Yeah, not exactly. You're not talking about the dishes, you're talking about something else. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> you don't right. respect me. It's about, it's <laughs> like these deeper feelings. That's exactly right. And yeah. so we, we use sometimes these conversations as proxies for, for those yeah. uh, deeper emotions, those deeper feelings that we want to kind of convey to others. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's not about the TPS reports. It's actually about, you don't respect me as a person. 
like yeah. deeper things. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we talk about in the program, and this is something comes from uh, the difficult conversations framework. So certainly I encourage folks to, to check that out if that's something that they're wanting to explore. But um, yeah, I mean, it, in difficult conversations, we kind of look at different levels of conversation, right? And so often in conversation, we're thinking about the content, right? Like who said what, you know, like, oh, they said this to me and look at that email and how it was worded. And, and so there's that level of the content. Mm -hmm. Then we go a layer deeper and there's the feelings. So how do you feel about like what's under the, the conversation? And then we go that third level, which is where you were kind of pointing to, I think, which is that level of the identity, right? What is at stake in this conversation? And I know for me, whenever I get triggered, um, there's usually two things at play, right? There will be the question of, am I competent as a person? Does this mm -hmm. person think I'm competent? Mm -hmm. Does this person think I'm worthy of respect and worthy of trust right yeah. and those are often the things that that's what's percolating under the surface right yeah when we when we get tetchy about you know oh i i, I sent that you know two weeks ago and you know whatever that is right <laughs> yeah. it's it's not about right. it's not about the logistics it's much more about that deeper stuff yeah man and you can that can happen so quickly and we're just we're just looking at screens but these uh these triggers can happen so the difference between in an email, so you say, hi, Joe, comma, space, 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 body of email versus Joe, period, space, body of email. Like if you see first name, period, like it's like, oh my God, what's, what is this? <laughs> but it's just one punctuation mark. <laughs> well, I have to, I have to let you in on a little secret. I absolutely agree with that. And I have actually, and this is, I'm not sure if I could, should be sharing this on, you, you on the podcast, have to. It's okay. but, uh, but certainly, um, for me, you know, I kind of, part of what I've had to learn over time is, you know, I can, I can sometimes get into a bit of a transactional mode when I'm doing a lot of work, right. And I'm getting mm -hmm. through things and, you know, that's just sort of part of who I am. Sure. And so I've had to literally learn to at the start of every email. Okay. I need to write one sentence that's, I hope you're doing really hope well. Doing I well. hope you're having a great weekend. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's, that's yeah. it. That's been a conscious practice for me because right. I know when I get an email, that's Sarah, period. Ooh. I'm like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> whoa, whoa, what are we dealing with here? You know? Yeah. Um, and these, I mean, these are just, these are really wonderful, um, conventions that we've developed as a way right. of bringing warmth and humanity yeah. into something that is actually, you know, at times feels quite stripped of that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, you know, I, I feel optimistic, you know, I feel really optimistic about the future of company culture. I think there's a lot of people, um, you know, I, sometimes we have folks because of our history and our origins at Google, sometimes we get folks sort of approaching us and saying, Oh, it's, it wouldn't work in my industry or like, Oh, it's nice for you, but not, you know, not in my you know region yeah. or we're whatever. Not, we're not human. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, not us. Yeah. Not us. No, not, not over here. Um, you know, and I just, I share with them. I'm like, look, you know, we've worked in, we've worked in banking. We've worked in the military. We've worked in nonprofits. We've worked in, um, you know, folks at countries all over the world. And we, we've actually been surprised at how well this content translates. Um, there's been a number of times where we've even internally thought, oh, I don't know how that's going to land or, you know, maybe it won't work in this context or whatever. But so many of the, the deeper principles that we're sharing, I think, um, as you say, I mean, they, they apply to human beings. And so 
you know, we're kind of in a good space to, to work with, with people. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just, it's a real honor. It's just such a privilege. Yeah. So if someone who's listening wants to learn more about Silly, how do they learn more? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, we, we would love to be in touch. Um, if there are folks who are listening who are in, in the space of HR or, or just more generally, you know, L&D professionals, folks who are kind of thinking about, um, you know, bringing in more, more AI into, into their company. Um, often we work really well with, you know, people, you know, teams or kind of heads of business units as well. So, again, just, just kind of presencing that. Um, but certainly, yeah, if they want to get in touch, please, um, they're welcome to look at our website. We're www.silly.org. That's S-I-Y-L-I.org. Uh, and also, too, uh, I'm not sure if we'll do this at the end of the podcast. I'd be happy to share my LinkedIn information as well. If folks want to reach out to me directly, uh, it's also just my, yeah, just my, my honour to and privilege to chat with folks. Um, and also, too, I, I would just say sometimes part of what we do in our work is we build a kind of, I think a broader community of people. And so sometimes our program isn't the right program for people or they're, you know, kind of looking for a different flavor. Um, but we also, part of our work is, is kind of supporting people to sort of get moving on, on in the direction that they want to be going in it and, and their vision and so forth. So just, yeah, happy to speak with anyone who who's thinking about this work or even just not sure what, what looks right for them. Uh, yeah. Just, just always enjoyable. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This has been so good talking to you. It's just been such a pleasure, Joe. And um, like I said, I, I really hope that your listeners have found some value in our conversation today. And um, I'm looking forward to kind of keeping this conversation going. And uh, I'd love to also hear more from you in the future in terms of how we can be of service to other HR professionals as well. Awesome, thanks. you enjoyed this definitely be sure to smash that like button and just tell us what you think tell us uh, where we can improve we want to open the door be a part of the process so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys on the next one